0: thought about what his voice would be like.
1: Yeah, we, me and Bella have his voice.
0: We talk a bit <laughs> like that. Hey, hey, yeah, what are is. you doing? I'm just gonna bring this bird in from the garden. You see, I think Ray would sound a bit like an elderly dowager in Downton Abbey. I think <laughs> Ray would say, what pray is a weekend? Yes.
1: Um, <laughs> not altogether too fond of the heath.
0: Actually, it's a little wild for me. This week on Walking the Dog, Raymond and I went for a stroll with Radio 1 Breakfast show host, TV presenter and best-selling children's author, Greg James and his adorable Labrador, Barney. Greg and Barney met us on Hampstead Heath. They were greeted with a thunderstorm erupting and Raymond doing a huge deposit, so embarrassing. But even this didn't put them off. We had one of those incredible walks where you just totally forget the time. It turned into a sort of epic Lord of the Rings quest but I blame him for being such fabulous company. We chatted about Greg's early years, growing up in South East London with his parents who were both teachers and obviously gave him a very stable, grounded outlook on life. He told me how passionate he always was about radio and you get the sense he was so focused. It actually didn't surprise me that he got offered a job at Radio One literally the day after he graduated. Greg was really interesting chatting about his learning curves, both professionally and personally. He's very honest about mistakes he's made and having therapy during a tricky period in his life. And I really got the impression he's done a lot of work on himself. It was also lovely hearing about how he met his wife, the writer Bella Mackey, and just instantly knowing she was the one. Greg also told me about his latest kids book written with his ex-Radio One colleague Chris Smith called Super Ghost. And I know it's not intended for my age group, but I loved it. So do buy it for any kids in your life or immature adults like me. I would sum Greg James up by saying he reminds me a lot of his Labrador. He's full of positive energy. He's hilarious. He's loyal and dependable. And may I say, immaculately groomed. I loved my chat with Greg and I really hope you do too. Please remember to rate, review and follow. I'll stop talking now and hand over to the man himself. Here's Greg and Barney and Ray.
1: Because he doesn't collect the ball, and like a not a classic retriever, he, I have to collect the ball for him. <laughs>
0: Come on, Barney. Barney!
1: Ray is so sweet. So, unfortunately, Ray is not lucked out with the length of my legs and the length of Barney's legs, because <laughs> we do proper hiking
0: i mean i don't like what you're suggesting greg james about his owner frankly
1: well no it's just that you will be loyal to his, you'll be loyal to him but i and it's going to start pissing it down in a minute i was going oh, to say no. if it
0: rains i've got a brolly for the talent but um <laughs> oh no my dog's doing a poo
1: <laughs> this is a bad start <laughs> right let me get the ball where's that bloody ball gone i we
0: could just sit near i think it'll just pass i love it
1: this is it's, it's passing it's fine
0: Oh, do you know that tells me a lot about Greg. I should say it's just started to rain, and his reaction was so chilled. He just said a little path.
1: <laughs> I really love a rainy walk, actually. You I, see, you're I, I very do prefer. Positive, Greg. I, I prefer it when it's. I do prefer it when it's raining because there's fewer people around. So what? you feel you feel like the owner of the heath, just checking your land. Where's that ball? That, that is not, I'm not chilled about losing balls. Definitely not chilled about that.
0: Barney, where have you put your ball?
1: The whole episode will be finding the ball.
0: <laughs> it's like a really shit version of finding Nemo. <laughs> finding Barney's ball.
1: It needs to be one of those investigative podcasts <laughs> where you go and you interview all the locals. <laughs> like, yeah, well I saw I saw the ball. I knew him when it went to school.
0: I'll and- be like one of those Netflix interviewees saying, and from that moment we knew something was very wrong with that ball. <laughs> Barney,
1: right, game over.
0: Do you think it's not here?
1: I don't know where it is. I feel like it's the um, sort of the circle of life, circle of balls. You all, if at the end of your life, you get back exactly the same amount of balls that you lose.
0: <laughs> it's a lovely <laughs> spiritual spin. <laughs> oh, Barney,
1: that's a man who has prized many, many slobbery balls out of that dog's mouth.
0: Oh, with all the drama of the ball, I haven't introduced you yet. Oh, shit. I am so thrilled and excited to have this man on my podcast. I'm a huge fan. I'm with the one and only Greg James, BBC Radio One Breakfast Show presenter, best selling children's author, <laughs> passionate cricket fan, and Arsenal fan. It's going to go well. Greg is here with his incredibly beautiful dog, Barney. Do you <laughs> want to officially introduce us?
1: Yes. This is wonderful Barney and this is Hampstead Heath and this is where I, I bring him every day, pretty much, for just the, the best walks. I love it. I love being here with him. And he you is... asked
0: me to meet you by the ladies' ponds, no judgment. <laughs> <I> <know. laughs> A bit weird.
1: I hadn't really realised how weird that sounded, but it's just because there's normally an ice cream van up there. But it's not the summer anymore, and he's, uh, he's facked off. But he just heard a clap of thunder. That's good news, isn't it? Oh, yes. oh, brilliant!
0: At least that, oh, Greg, come on, let's go for shelter under the tree.
1: I normally um, I normally wear a sort of dad mac, but I forgot it today.
0: Yes, I can see you in a dad mac. I think that's quite child of teachers. <laughs> I think it is. Do you is. know what I mean? Like, I suspect <laughs> you're not too far away from having a phone attached to a wallet.
1: Oh, fuck off. <laughs> that is the most insulting thing anyone could ever say.
0: <laughs>
1: no, you're too cool. but, I, but I wouldn't be averse to having a nice, uh, a nice Berghaus jacket yeah, if you needed one.
0: I can see that on you. Um,
1: so, yeah, anyway.
0: Barney is, he's a chocolate Labrador and I don't, you don't see so many of the chocolate Labradors, I find.
1: am not sure why there's oh. five fire engines in the... Park at the moment. It's quite strange. You don't see many chocolate you say. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, we were looking at Battersea website four years ago because we wanted a dog, and Bella had my wife Bella had a a dog that was aging. This is Bonnie, lovely Bonnie. Rest in peace, Bonnie. She she died much younger than we hoped. Mm. She was only seven, and she won't mind me saying this, don't think, but she it was her. It was her first husband replacement. (laughs) So when she had a horrible first divorce, first marriage, she got Bonnie, who was sort of her little pal, that she then tackled (laughs) the the new... okay now Bonnie's barking at firefighters because he's got a problem with um, men in uh, uniforms.
0: He's not like (laughs) me then. (laughs) Bon Bon. Bonnie, leave the nice firefighters alone. Come on. Um, oh, what? excuse me, what's happening? we oh, you doing drills. You're doing some draining? Oh. Training. Oh training! training. <laughs> draining? I thought, oh I didn't Oh look, they're out in their little boats. Hello! How are you doing? I'm oh, very well. <laughs> nice to see you. It's
1: not a real problem, is it this? No. Good. If you need any help, just let me know. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers.
0: <laughs>
1: Barney, stop barking at the firefighters.
0: Barney, leave the five items alone! Barney, you don't realise how. Where's Christmas with
1: the news gone? <laughs> <sighs> Where's Christmas with the news gone? I'm actually seeing him tomorrow, oh. so I'll pass on my best wishes. But yeah, yeah we, um, we come up here a lot together actually, <laughs> oh, me really? and Chris. Yeah. Um, for ideas meetings.
0: Uh, oh boy. I'm oh, not no, no, just <laughs> in the pub. Shush,
1: Barn. Okay, I think he's got a problem with men in uniform.
0: No, Maybe it's helmets, like, yeah. He, he's like lassies trying to communicate with you and tell you where uh, all the problems are. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, let's go. <laughs> <Silly boy. laughs> See you in a bit. Cheers. Nice
0: to meet you guys. Bye. Oh, my God. So, no respect. Barking at fucking firefighters. Greg, I'm not being funny, but he really embarrassed you in front of those firefighters. I thought they'd be nice you friends know, for that us. They're
1: so nice as well. <laughs> they're just doing drills. They're just trying to get better at their jobs. All they're just trying to do is practice. Bunny.
0: Stop being a dick. funny Anyway. Um, so go on. We? So Bella. Yes, Bella's I, I totally. Um, <laughs> so Bella's divorced. <laughs> no, do you know? Um, I really think. I relate to that and understand that. And I think that's a really good thing that she did for herself. Mm. So.
1: Or get divorced? No. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a great thing she did.
0: I mean, you're thrilled. I'm thrilled. But, no, but you know. I'm thrilled
1: you, that it went tits uh, up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did. She. But she. Her and. And Bonnie tackled the, the new scary world of, you know, it, I, I've, I've been through a wedding, and I can only imagine how horrible that must be to go, oh shit, it didn't work. And this thing that everyone goes, the wedding is the thing, it's the thing, it's your life. And it doesn't work, and then she's sat there going, oh, balls. So yeah, so anyway, long story short, we had this lovely, lovely rescue uh, Frenchie called Bonnie. And she was so calm and so lovely. And we decided to add another dog because i always wanted one i never had one as a kid and um, we went to battersea and (laughs) it was the day it was the two days before the brits because i remember bringing him home and bella just going oh my god what have we done and i had to go i've got to go brits sorry but i'll be back so bella was on her own with on the first night we had him um, as he was just terrorizing the place and just being so frightened and young and, you know, shitting everywhere and all the rest of it. And I was like, I have to go to the Brits, bye-bye. I've got to go and interview and do a leaper. So, um, uh, yeah, so we found him at Battersea. And I couldn't believe it. So I'd said to the people who were sort of showing us around, I said, well, I'd love to have my ideal dog. I love retrievers. I love Labradors. I quite like big dog dogs. Because my cousin's had an amazing retriever when... Uh, when we were growing up, we used to, they lived in, they're from Weymouth. Yes. We used to go down to the beach and play with Max and I used to love it. And um, <laughs> Bella had got there before, before I had and said to the, to the lady, whatever you do, don't show Greg that dog. <laughs> he was called Marley at the time. And I got there a bit later and I saw Marley and I went, this one has to be, we have to have this one, have to have this guy. And we've got this amazing photo of him jumping up at my chest, which I've r- romanticised in the aftermath now of saying, like, he picked us, but of course he didn't, he just wanted somebody, um, which better then made that photo into a t-shirt, which I wear on my dog walk sometimes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my God, that's um, the nicest origin story I've ever heard. But it,
1: it's horrible when you see dogs in, yeah. in, uh, in those centres and everything, and obviously they're being very well looked after there, but they want to have a, a home and an owner. And I think the story, the loose story with Barney is that he was, he was dumped alongside his sister mm. because I think the family had kids. Basically. I mean, the tears all time, really. They had kids and he was eight months old and they were like, we can't deal with this. And he's no longer a cute Andrex puppy. He's a big, he's becoming a sort of dinosaur, <laughs> which, which he is today. And I just felt so sad for him because he's, so, he's so happy and so sweet.
0: He's the most... But light. he's anxious,
1: you could see. I mean, he's anxious around the, the London Fire Brigade.
0: Yeah, but, <laughs> but... he's such a lovely-natured, sweet dog. He is
1: sweet. Well, he doesn't have a bad bone in his body. He just is a bit scared of things.
0: Hey, Greg, but... you know what occurred to me? Is it more sheltered? Should we go down here? Let's go into the woods. Well, let's go into the woods. Nothing bad ever happens when people say that in films. I
1: wonder what other emergency <laughs> services are in here. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, that was quite <laughs> exciting seeing the firefighters, it was, yeah. it?
1: But anyway, that was a long introduction for me. Thanks oh, for no. inviting us on the podcast. <laughs> I'm really pleased to be on.
0: Well, I said let's go into the woods. But
1: oh, we're straight out of the woods.
0: We're straight out of the woods, but it's fine. So.
1: I can. I can, I can this is going to sound weird again. Go on. I can take you into the woods. Come if on. You then. Want. Let's, let's go do into, the woods. We'll go into the woods. So,
0: I want to go back to Little Greg. Yes. And we're going to talk lots, obviously, yeah. about all the incredible stuff you've achieved. And I do want to talk to you about your brilliant book, Super Ghost, which I've read and Have I you? absolutely loved. You've yes, read it? Yes. Oh, wow. It's so good. Um, I wanna go back to little Greg. Yes. Gregory, is it Gregory James Allen? Yes. Millwood? Yes. I love an Allen for a child. It's my favorite thing. Well,
1: It's my dad's name. Oh Yeah.
0: And you grew up in, is it Lewisham you grew up in?
1: Grew up in Bromley. Bromley? Yeah.
0: And both your parents were teachers. Yep. Would you say you were were you sort of confident, were you extrovert, or were you quite shy and quiet? No,
1: I wasn't. I wasn't confident or particularly extroverted until I got to fifth year, or maybe sixth form even. Yeah, probably even sixth form. I, was, uh, I wasn't silent, but I was definitely quiet and... <laughs> everyone in every interview says shy, don't they? But I, I don't, Actually, I wasn't shy, but I was definitely not the loud one. I wasn't the kind of, hey, let's all go and do something. Yeah. I was very much the, right, they're going to go and do something, we'll just sit and watch, I guess. Yes. Or I, quite, I, I guess I've always you weren't, liked um, observing stuff. You weren't first through the door. No, I wasn't. But I do remember being passionate about certain things, and I remember loving things which uh, I, I don't remember being particularly sad. I didn't love school really, I, I, quite, I, did, I quite liked it.
0: It's interesting with kids who grow up with teachers as parents, I find them an interesting breed. Sometimes people who grew up with parents who were teachers say there's almost a sense of like focus on them in a way because you're sort of an ambassador for your parents. <laughs> it Do you know was. what I mean?
1: <laughs> well, my mummy and daddy wouldn't think that was very good <laughs> behaviour. I don't think you <laughs> should be doing that.
0: Did you see what the teacher's son did? Do you know what I mean? Was there ever an element of that? Did you feel a sense of responsibility? No, because
1: I was never the teacher's son in school because they, yeah. were, they were, thank God, nowhere near my school. <laughs> they were at different schools and that was a real, I feel very, very grateful for that. Because yeah. they were, were kids. In my school, whose sort of mum and dad were teachers, or there was one school I was at where his this kid's dad was the head teacher, and it's just a nightmare because mm. he's just a he's just a snitch, <laughs> isn't he? You know, he's just a he's just a spy, and you're <laughs> just like, well, spy. we're not going to talk to him because he'll report everything. What are you going to do? Tell, you're going to tell the police everything.
0: What was your household like, sort of atmosphere-wise? Like I always. If I had to describe my family, I say it was sort of noisy Bohemian chaos. Yeah. What was your household? It energy? was really,
1: it was really fun, and and
0: like, it's your sister Catherine. Uh, yeah, like a, right?
1: a good gang, I'd say it was a really good gang. So yeah, actually, just back on what you're saying about being a <laughs> the son of a teacher man <laughs> in a school.
0: <laughs> a difficult follow-up single.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm the son of a teacher man. I think that it gave me a respect for teachers because mm. I knew how stressed and worried my parents were at on results day for example or if there was a bad kid, I, I knew how my mum and dad would wear that and I knew how sad and anxious it would make them. Yeah. And teaching almost killed my dad. I mean, he had to retire early because he took it all so personally and he found it very difficult to separate. He was he was a head teacher at a quite a difficult school in Enfield, mm. and he he was a very, he was a young head teacher. I think he was a head teacher by about 44 or something, maybe a bit, a bit younger. And he was so excited; it was like his dream thing. He'd managed to rise up through the ranks and kind of break out of his family and go and be a be a teacher yeah. and you know win essentially but when he couldn't quite make that school work or in his mind couldn't quite make it work with all the kids there and the pressures of it and all the rest of it it sent him almost mad and he was he was really really ill from it so he had to retire at 51 and it's really sad
0: oh Greg yeah because he had quite bad sort of dip- well, and now I suppose there'd be a lot more understanding and awareness around that. <laughs> yeah,
1: there was nothing. Yeah. There was real, there was absolutely, it was just like, oh, dad's just stressed. Yeah. And, our oh, dad's in hospital because he had pal- palpitations or whatever it is. <laughs> I remember that, that feeling. So I, I never really wanted to piss my teachers off too much because I thought, well, teachers are, teachers are great people. They, they are, by and large, completely selfless and... D- just do the most fantastic job, and it, and it was it was amazing to see my m- mum and dad do that.
0: Sorry, Greg, I'm um, just going to pick Ray up because he's been quite irritating now. <laughs>
1: Ray, come on, Ray. You're lagging, Ray. Yeah, it's really interesting. I never thought about what my parents would have done if they weren't teachers. I don't think there was ever a. I don't think they would have ever used their powers for evil. <laughs> 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 Gone and been bankers. It's interesting seeing, learning more about my. Mum and Dad, since getting older, because I think you're not that interested when you're a kid. Mm. <laughs> but since the whole world is obsessed with class and where you're from and all the rest of it, I think it is interesting that my dad really was one, of, he was one of six and he was basically the only one who left where he grew up to go and do a job outside of where everyone else, all his brothers and sisters were doing stuff. Mm. And I find that quite interesting because he, he, he obviously had a huge ambition. And that makes me understand how sad he was when he had mm. to just go, oh shit, that's it, at 51 and I'm, I can't do this anymore because going, I'm going to be dead. Yeah. So I find that interesting. And similarly for my mum, I think she, she wanted to get out of where she was and wanted to teach and found that really exciting. And I think they got a lot out of it. I think they really, really loved it. And that, that, that is inspiring.
0: Were you popular with girls? Were you the sort of... I see you as sort of like, oh, Greg's coming.
1: The truth of it is I didn't... I, I, I wasn't until I went to university. And then I was a bit more than I had been. And, that, and I hadn't been very popular. I, I haven't really ever been massively confident in lots of areas. I've been, all, I've, I've been always very confident in doing radio stuff and slightly nerdy technical things. I've always been quite confident in being able to play sport, particularly cricket and stuff, but I was really, I just hated the idea of going out with anyone until I was about 16 or 17 probably. And I, <laughs> I just remember vividly hating that my best mates were going to the next town to go and meet girls they'd met on MSN. <laughs> 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 and I hated it. Why? And they were like, oh, Do you want to come to.? Do, do, we're, we're going, and they were like, We're going to Hartford for the day. This is when we'd, mo- we'd moved to Bishop's Stortford by then, because yeah. my dad had, he was working in, in Enfield, so we'd moved a little bit.
0: Yeah.
1: And they were like, We're going to, we're going to Hartford for the day. And okay, that sounds like the fucking worst thing ever. What are you going to do? I'm going to meet some girls we've met on MSN from the whatever school it was. And I just thought I can't, I don't want, and it wasn't me being snobby, it was me being terrified that that would, what do you do, what am I going to do, what do you do there? I said I'd rather just sort of, I I don't know, I'd rather be at home, I'd, I'd rather just do anything else rip some jingles off the radio and and practice with them or <coughs> go on go on some forums or <laughs> to look at some radio gossip so um it didn't really happen for me until i went to university and thought oh this is quite this is really fun yeah. oh the girls are re- reacting in a positive way whereas i thought they'd react in a oh god go away because uh, there was uh, at school you have the sort of the the mean girls don't you and the, and the mean girls always felt like they felt like women, and I felt like a boy. I, I, I felt like they were just always taking the piss out of me. And I think probably, uh, to a certain extent, they were. But I, I remember having, I remember like, fancying people, and I remember trying to make girls that I fancied laugh and stuff, but I, I wouldn't have the courage of my conviction, really. I just, I think it was, as I said, sort of year 11 in sixth form, I, I got confident and thought, oh, I'm, I can make people laugh. And I like, this is really, I love this feeling of of messing around and, and doing that. But yeah, it wasn't for the want of trying.
0: I think. <laughs> and you went to university, didn't you? Mm. You went to East Anglia. I did. And you did drama. Uh-huh. And I get the sense from what I know about your time there, it's really interesting because. You know, I suppose a lot of people use university just to kind of discover what they want to do and just think, oh, this is good. I can laze about a bit for three years and (laughs) also learn about stuff, but also it's a great social life. And it's interesting reading about your experience. It seems that you were pretty focused and determined already on wanting to work in radio.
1: I think I was, yeah. I think it was a combination of a few things. First of all, I started doing English and drama. So I did English and drama for two years. And then Radio 1 really started to take <coughs> excuse me, take off in that final year and it meant that I just couldn't be around as much and I was doing, I was depping for various people and I was going up for meetings and I was doing stuff.
0: And how did that all happen, because you started doing like hospital radio and yeah. then you were doing sort of student radio.
1: Yeah, hospital radio when I was at school in the, in, in the times when my friends were off in Hartford. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is pretty isn't it, this bit. Uh, yeah, hospital radio in those teenage years and then went to university, did lots of community radio, an amazing station called Future Radio in, in Norwich that used to have a license every quarter I guess and they would mm-hmm. do sort of two weeks of shows and I would always go please let me do something please. And then yeah Livewire was my student radio station and I would just do loads of stuff there. But I, I also really loved the idea of maybe acting and doing and being an actor. One of, the, one of my options in my head was oh well I could maybe go to drama school and I definitely I did the National Youth Theatre and I really enjoyed oh Barney's in the pond with blue green algae let's get him out of there Barney! Bon Bon Come on! Ah ah! Barney! Ah ah ah! Barney, come here come here come on let's go
0: Ah ah! I mean, that's quite a big stick, Greg.
1: This is the thing he also does, is that he will um, he'll find a stick and then he'll, he'll drag this for the rest of the walk.
0: I need to deposit this poo, otherwise Greg James has oh. got an abiding memory of me Have stinking got a poo of in shit. Have you got
1: a poo in the hand?
0: <laughs> yeah. well, there, is
1: there's a you walk past a biffer.
0: I will find another one, Should we go back, Let's
1: go back to this biffer. No, you can't walk around with a poo in your hand.
0: It's a bad look, isn't it?
1: Is it just in a tissue?
0: Yeah. Put it in, no, the, sh- in, put the, proper... it in the shit bag? No, it's in a shit bag inside oh, a okay. tissue.
1: I thought you just... Oh, <laughs> no... I thought radio was such dainty shit that you could just put it in a, in a small Kleenex.
0: So how did the radio one thing happen? Because you were doing—I mean, that's the sort of stuff of absolute dreams, isn't it? That you suddenly, it is. Yeah, the radio at university get offered a job at the biggest radio station in the country.
1: In my first year, I did so much student radio. There was a thing that I discovered, well, I didn't discover it, but people told me about the student radio awards, which are supported by the radio industry, and. I submitted a demo for best presenter, and I worked with a, f- a few of my mates who were doing the show with me, and we came up with this demo of all the stuff I'd because obviously I recorded everything because you know boring and a nerd, and I thought let's record everything because you don't you never know, and um, we made this really good demo, and I listened to it quite recently actually, and it's it's okay, and that was it, and they, they, so I won that award in 2005. And part of the prize, or the prize, was to do an hour's show pre-recorded to go out on the bank holiday Monday in in August. And it was the most exciting day of my life. I I went up to London to meet a producer and we worked on this show and I brought all the clips and I brought all the ideas to him and all the rest of it and it was really down to him because the show went out and the boss Eventually got around to listening to it and gave me some feedback and said "Oh, we'll keep in touch and all the rest of it And of course I did keep in touch And then he said we'll just go away finish university and we'll see where we are after that And I did loads of stuff in between loads of radio stuff loads of plays loads of comedy stuff loads of you know, whatever else and uh, Went up to Galaxy in Newcastle. There's an amazing man called Mike Cass He gave me a few tryout shows to do during my Easter holidays and summer holidays and whatever and I went up to Newcastle and did a few of those for you know, a couple of weeks on end. And just getting better, I suppose, just all of that.
0: You did your 10,000 hours. Well. But you did them at, you know, when you were still...
1: 1,000. <laughs>
0: yeah. You did your 60 hours. Yeah. Yeah, but you did them when you were still a student. And I, yeah. I do think that tells me that you were quite committed and driven. Oh, Unusually definitely. so, I suppose. Because... Yeah, yeah.
1: I absolutely wanted to do something outward-facing. I, def- I knew that it was radio, comedy, drama-y, actor something. Yeah. But radio was the thing that was the constant in my life, I guess. And oh. I could distill all these things that I'd listened to and watched and read into making a show, and it was just the thing that was, I guess, most accessible to me, because you could do it on a computer or you could just do it yeah. <laughs> to yourself in your, in your bedroom, so to speak. But what (laughs) what holds a lot
0: of people back is, I suppose, fear. Do you know what I mean? That sense of, who am I to do this? That everyone has to a degree.
1: Yeah, but I I think I flipped that in my head and thought, well, somebody gets to do it. And I did think that. And I remember listening to people thinking, wow, well, they're just, you know, they're, they're just a person. They're doing a thing. Why couldn't I do the thing? And I did, I've always loved the feeling of, well, not always, but when I got older, I really enjoyed the feeling of performing. It's overground that way, or that way. Is what? Sorry. Oh. Oh it's, yeah, that way. Yeah, yeah. It's this and way? yeah just down took down round to the right. Thank
0: you. Yeah. I think that's often a sign of good parenting.
1: Or madness. <laughs> Maybe both.
0: No, but it's if you have if a kid has self belief. Yeah. Not arrogance, but self belief. Mm. That means. I think often i mean it comes from within obviously i'm not taking the credit away from you but i also think it's often a sign of someone who's been raised feeling sort of unconditional love and feeling
1: safe (laughs) yeah yeah i was really i was encouraged to do whatever i wanted and there was never any pressure to do any job i mean obviously there would have been at some point there would have been a pinch point to say get off our sofa you lazy 28 year old or whatever but
0: you wouldn't have done that though, would you?
1: I wouldn't have done that, I don't think. But I was lucky that I managed to, to get out and do stuff. And,
0: and did you listen when you were growing up? Was it Chris Evans was your...?
1: My breakfast DJ was, was Moyles. My, my, my entry point to Radio 1 was Scott Mills. I remember getting up when he was doing early breakfast to go to school. Mm. <laughs> A story which I remind him of every night. I was going to
0: say, I bet he loves you. For that. <laughs> which he hates.
1: I think he likes it now because he's like, you know, he's the statesman now.
0: You really, I really get the sense with you though, Greg, because people who are quite driven, I'm thinking of Frank actually, mm. who's people that are quite driven about their career and quite focused, laser focused on their work. Yeah. I think it sometimes bleeds over into their personal life and who they are, you know, like they tend to be the sort of people that they don't hit the snooze button, <laughs> you know, they sort of, they commit to things.
1: I am pretty dis- yeah you're right, I, I am pretty disciplined, and I think I've, I feel lucky that I can switch it on and I can switch it off, I think that I am I have been really I, I, have, I was quite laser focused on making sure I got a fun thing to do when I left university. I just really wanted to do something fun, and whether that was doing a radio show anywhere or going to go to drama school or do something in tele or radio or I just really, really wanted to do that, because I knew it would be fun. I just knew it would be. Yeah. So I, I was just seeking fun, I think, all the time. And at, at, 16, at 18, I was really fearless. And I loved that feeling. You just, I guess it's like new comics or something. You just go, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to go and do an open spot. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go to Edinburgh for a month and just be mad. I'm just yeah. going to go for it. And I love, I love those sorts of people. And I love those sorts of jobs where I was up at the fringe a couple of weeks ago to see a few mates doing some sh- stand-up shows and I love that that the outlook of all those people sitting around drinking being silly being tragic being happy being you know all of that all those things yeah. are really fun aren't they those, those sorts of people I mean you love being around frank and all yeah. those sorts of bit they're brilliant people to be around because they're just plugged into the world and I love that so I was really, I am really ambitious with that sort of thing. Mm. But equally I've got so much better at switching off. Have you? And just being satisfied with what I have done that week or that term of the show or that year of the show. And the first time maybe ever I had a properly relaxing summer holiday where I went, I feel really proud of the last four years of breakfast shows and all the other stuff and I feel really happy that i've given enough time to my parents i've seen my friends enough i've done enough interesting other things in my life sounds <laughs> like i'm signing off but <laughs> <laughs> and i'm here today to say emily <laughs> i'm retiring
0: sounds like chris <laughs> handing over hong kong <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's it i'm done see you later but I did, but I felt like that. I felt yeah. like I could just bow out for two weeks, and it was only two weeks. But two weeks in radio, is, as you know, is like a lifetime. So I just turned my and I turned my phone off for the first time, properly for over a week, mm. and it felt amazing. And I didn't feel panicky. I didn't think, oh my god, I've missed an opportunity, or I've and I and I, that's that was a nice marker for me that I thought, okay, that I've done done what I wanted to do, so everything else now is a really exciting bonus, which in, a, in, a, in, a, in another way is, is a, uh, a different sort of ambition. You go, well now, what can I do now? There's yeah. loads of fun things that could be around. So I think finding that fearlessness that I had when I was 18 was really important, a really important breakthrough for me, because what's the point of being worried about it all? Yeah. It's radio shows, it's writing books, it's presenting stuff, I know I can do it if I apply myself and use the time I would be for worrying, <laughs> the time I put aside for worrying into, into making something good and interesting. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I do feel very, very, very lucky.
0: And when you were at university, because your graduation night and everyone else was out getting shit-faced, <laughs> you were thinking, oh, I've got to get up for work early tomorrow because I'm presenting on Radio 1, I'm starting yeah. on Radio 1. I mean, I'm I'm not going to lie, I would have really hated you. I would have been so jealous. Were you aware that you didn't want to almost alienate people? Were you sort of conscious of keeping, I suppose, humble about it, you know?
1: I think I am still like that. I think I'm still like that. I don't don't bowl into the pub with my friends and tell them all the amazing, mega-exciting things that I've just done on The Breakfast Show that week. That would be completely... That would be psychotic. Um... But I've I've never done it for for showing off reasons. I've I've, I've never wanted to go and want that show to just to, to make you feel like shit. I've I've I've, I've always wanted to do it because it makes. That's
0: it, where we're going to have to part company. <laughs> I'm sorry. I cannot get on board with that attitude. I don't, I the don't, only reason I get on board. I don't understand
1: morning. that. The only reason I take jobs <laughs> is to make other people feel like shit. Look at me. I got this and you didn't. You're terrible. I yeah. I just I, I wanted to do it because I really enjoyed it. So I'd never, I, I didn't do it to spite anyone.
0: I get the sense that you always wanted to do rather than be, if that makes sense. That there's a big difference. Yeah. My dad would always say that to me that a lot of people want to be on television. Oh, I see but what you But you've mean. actually got right. to want to do it because oh, it's a job yeah. and it's such a big distinction, I suppose, isn't it? That
1: I've, yeah. I've always wanted to do radio. Yeah. And the fame thing, the, the people that I really, really look up to, or, or looked up to when I was a, when I was a kid, I suppose, were, were famous not because they were famous, but because they'd done interesting, funny, smart, good things. And I, that's, that was always my... I always had that in my head. And I probably wrote that down somewhere when I was being lame. Mm. As I was leaving university or during university, I thought, oh, who, what, what's the common thread through all these great people like, you know, Wogan and great old comedians, like what, what's, why, 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 is, why do I love Michael Palin? Why do I love Michael mm. Palin? Is it's all the things he's done, it's not because he's everywhere or yeah. he was at that thing or went to that party or, you know, went out with that person. I think that's, so I guess it, yeah, that, that, that was really important to me, is that I could just go and do this job. It just so happened that this job was in front of lots of people. I mean, there's nothing better than having mm. a great caller on a radio show because that is, that's, the whole point, that's the whole point of being there is that you're having a conversation with someone and they want to talk back. That's why radio is the best because there are no airs and graces. There can't be and there shouldn't be because that's, that is what it is. The, uh, it, it was a massive change for me. And to, actually, I think what you're saying about wanting to be on the radio as opposed to wanting to do radio mm. is a change that happened to me from university t- until I was about 23 or 24 right so you you think right well, I want to be on the radio mm. but then you, you understand it a bit more and you I went through a few years of it and I went through loads of shows and you get to work out what's special about it and the real the real ch- uh, turning point for me was realizing I was doing it anyway, but realizing what my role was, which mm. is being the ringleader and being around. And probably that's an answer to your first question, which is what was I like as a kid. Yeah. I quite liked being around, sort of going, "Oh, this is a fun thing," or "How about this?" Or, "Have you seen this?" or?" What yes, about this sticker I see book you. or whatever?
0: I think if they were planning a heist in a sort of Ocean's Eleven type setup, yeah. I see you in the middle of it all. You'd be called <laughs> up Brains or something. Hey, Brains! <laughs> Come on, and you'd have yeah. all the maps out yeah. and you'd be organising it.
1: I, I love that role. I really love that role of being the ringleader of silly things on, that sh- on the show I do at the moment, which is, here's a great caller with an amazing story. Here's a funny clip from last night's telly. Here's a great new song. We put it all together, and I'm sort of conducting it. So,
0: you're like a social architect.
1: I am a social architect. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly what I am.
0: That's what I'm going to call you. I Red want down. that on my headstone. You are. You build things. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. I'm sorry. Oh, that was, a, that was a, to the woods. To, to the, the woods. woods. To the break, woods, everyone. Bum bum. Do you know? I'm saying this because I'm walking slightly behind him and he can't really hear me. But come on, on. James! Come on! He's such a good natured. I've left you for man. dead. I'm talking about you. I'm saying very. I can't nice hear things. you. <laughs> Hope you're
1: not slagging me off.
0: Come on, Ray! Come on! Ah! To the woods. Oh, so. This must have been, I mean you've been, a, you've been doing The Breakfast Show for five years now and you'd obviously prior to that you'd done the early Breakfast Show, you mm-hmm. kind of earned your stripes on Radio One because, yeah. but unlike most people who sort of, you know, you'll do local radio and you'll build up those hours, yeah. there was a lot of focus on you in a way, you, would, you were at the biggest station yeah. in the country really. Do you think it took you a while to find your, your voice as it were?
1: I think the really interesting thing was that I started on the early breakfast show, as you said, in 2007. And he, I, I was deliberately hidden by my boss because he knew that. he's be- He was very, very smart. It was Ben Cooper. He's a really great bloke. And he was really the reason I'm on. He, he, he did change my life. And it, it, that is an extraordinary thing to say about someone. But he said we want people to, and I remember it because he he sat me down before the show started and said, we want people to find you, we don't want Mm. you to be thrust in front of everybody. We want want people to think that they've discovered you on that early show and I think that worked, that did happen Mm. and I was, I still had enough naivety about London and the media and how it all works and all the rest of it just to be who I was at that time, but on Radio 1. And I think they were some of my best shows. I, re- I really do, because I was just having fun with the callers. I had an amazing producer, I felt really safe, and I felt really supported. It's nice when Barney sits down, because it means that he's finally relaxed. And I was just given, I was given two years to have fun mm. and learn the Radio 1 ways and get better and all the rest of it. And then, when I moved to the afternoon show, I think I overthought everything, and then thought I had to be somebody yeah. different because I was now doing a daytime show. I'm in the same lineup as Moyle's, Mills, Joe Wiley,
0: yep.
1: Zane Lowe. How do I fit into this? Well, I've got to be famous. <laughs> but actually, the trick was never—it was never that complicated. I yeah. should have just kept going as I was. So there was a couple of years of uncertainty, and I think that just means. That was also personal life stuff of just being 24 and you're a mess at 24. Where and probably you, you should think? be. Yeah. I think you probably should be a little, to a certain extent. You can still you know, be functioning and you know, go through life and, and be a functioning adult, but- And it's and hard job, as well, because at
0: that for you, most people are sort of getting that out of their system for want of a better word, phrase, yep. you know, in their local pub or something. But of course you're known by yeah. that point. Did you find that difficult suddenly, though, that there was more focus on you? Like, your personal life, I suppose, or you were in the papers more, and it was... That hmm. must have been suddenly like, oh, I didn't know this was going to happen. Yeah, it's
1: kind of weird. I did feel like I was going against all the things I wanted to achieve, hmm. which was I just wanted to be good at radio. But you, I guess, all, everything had to, you, you, you can't hide if you're... <laughs> it's too much of a, of a contradiction. You can't be a really successful, well-known radio presenter or comedian actor blah 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 and not be written about or talked about that just doesn't doesn't happen because one thing feeds the other and vice versa but yeah I just I I, I wanted to make sure that the the people were were talking about me in the right way and they thought the shows were good essentially that was it but I don't think I was I was never off the rails this is not a Chris Evans no
0: you were it was more just that um, it was a sort of hot young thing about town you know it was more associating you with behind the velvet rope i suppose
1: i think you have to try that yeah because of course. why how you would never know you have to see what that's like and be tempted by the bright lights of the city <laughs> and all the rest of it and see what it's like and then i i would quickly retreated and went no don't Did like you? it don't really like red carpets don't like that thing and, th- and i had another great bit of advice from ben when i started which was he was talking about chris evans and when it switched in his head on the evans breakfast show is when Evan started talking about how exciting it was to be having a wee next to a famous person. I think it was someone like, it was someone like Ronnie Wood or something. He was like, oh, I just, you know, I just had, a, had a wee next to Ronnie Wood at this gig or something. And, he's really, you, come back and you come back and you tell your listeners, oh, that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really exciting. And then it flipped towards the end of The Breakfast Show where he was hanging out with Ronnie Wood at his house or something. I've, I've made the story up a bit here, but it, the idea is that you've got to stay on the side of real life. And I, like, I do like that. And I've always been like that. So why would you change? I would still find it exciting crossing that invisible line of, yeah. I'm backstage. I'm sitting with the band. That still should be amazing. It shouldn't be the band calling you going, where are you, Greg? Can you come backstage?
0: Yeah, you're, if you're at the Great Gatsby's party, you're Nick Carraway. You can't be Gatsby.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you... that's it. That's, that's how I've always seen my role. And that's how I like to be. I don't want to be... I don't want to be in the middle of it. I, I like sitting around watching it. I love the access that you get. Mm. I mean, I went and did, they, Coldplay asked me to introduce them on stage a few weeks ago. And I, I've loved them since I was a, a crybaby teenager. I thought they would've been, I've just loved them. But I've got, you get to know these people obviously, and that's mm. really great, because you interview them and whatever. And Chris Martin asked me to introduce them on stage. But I'm not best friends with Chris Martin, but we know each other a bit and and but I was still observing in their, not in their dressing in their backstage area beforehand. Mm. And it's not like I'm hanging out with them, like chumming up with them. Mm. But it's just this, and I could tell that story the next day on air, honestly, and just say, I felt so excited because of this, this, and I saw this, and I saw that, and I saw Simon Pegg walk past, and I saw Steve Coogan walk past, and oh my god, the band then went out, And all the rest of it so you can there's there are ways of doing it I think and I do like as you said about radio being a a great leveller you do I think you do to do it well you need to be on the side of the listeners always Mm. and you're with them but you're fortunate enough to go out and report back and go you never guess what happened and I think that's cool but I told my mates that story this weekend I was on, Mm -hmm. on my one of my best mates stag do's this weekend and they said what the fuck happened with Coldplay? Why, <laughs> why the fuck were you on stage with them? And I told them exactly how it happened and that's, yeah. that's how essentially how I said it on the radio. So I think you, it takes a while for you to work out how to be true to yourself publicly <laughs> and outwardly. But you
0: don't strike me... I don't think you've got a huge ego because I think...
1: I think I do at times. Do you? I think you have to, sometimes. But I think you just need to know how to deploy it. I mean, I definitely... I'm too vain with certain things and I'm definitely, I definitely get a bit het up with wanting to do the next thing and the next thing. So I think it would be disingenuous for me to sit here and say I don't have a big ego. I think everyone who does these sorts of jobs has an ego that does pop out, you've just got to know how to control it. I'm
0: interested in vain Greg, what's vain Greg like?
1: Oh, um, like my hair for example. I don't know, I just, I've always been obsessed with my own hair. But it's an insecurity thing, I, I, I never think I look good enough. I, always th- I look at a photo of myself and I hate what I look like in photos, for example. So I just have a bit of an obsession with it, I think.
0: And you're not confident about how you look physically? No. Not really. Sometimes.
1: Yeah, I don't think I'm amazing, but you, but you can't think that because that's not funny either. No. no. You, that isn't funny. I said to Bella when we first met, I said, I don't know who you've gone out with before, but just to let you know, there's no six pack under here because I think six packs are not funny and there's nothing funny about going to the gym all the time. What are you doing? Sorry.
0: Barney's just...
1: Barney, that is the loveliest, sweetest dog and you're an idiot. Sorry.
0: Barney has an interesting approach to making friends.
1: Do you know what it is, though? (laughs) He saw that tiny Westie (laughs) walk up and went, Greg, this is an emergency. There is an
0: attacker. There's a terrorist approaching emergency
1: and that's why he went mad he's just protected. whereas
0: me. Ray on the other hand was like every man for himself oh here no, look
1: Ray's come over come on Ray Barney, Can sit Ray down. Up.
0: yeah and Barney sit down with me we need to I need to just quickly um <coughs> I want to talk about your fabulous book and um, I also but I want to ask you about Bella because that's so I get such a sense that you really felt um You've met the right person with her, and you just—that was quite an instinctive thing, was it?
1: Yes, it felt like it felt like that was the missing piece of it all. I was um, merrily going about my business and having a nice time on the show, really focusing on making my work good, making the show good, having a good life and being well, and. Um, yeah, dating a few nice people and sort of ridding myself of toxicity yeah. and shit relationship decisions and there was a couple of bad ones that I d- got rid of and uh, out of my head as well. And then yeah, Bella was, was around and I think it was the same for her. She was doing a similar thing. How did you thing. meet
0: her? Did you remember when you first met Yeah, her?
1: we met on Twitter. I found her really funny. She did a tweet a couple of years previously and then we'd followed each other and then a year later she... DM'd me to say, I'm looking for people to write opinion pieces or comment pieces for The Guardian. Would you be interested? We're looking for people to write stuff. And I said, yeah, it could be interesting. Yeah, yeah, cool, let's, let's chat. Never really did follow up on that. And then a, maybe a year later, she, she'd moved to Vice News. She was the deputy news editor at Vice. And she said, we're still looking for people to write, but now for Vice, are you interested? <laughs>
0: Get and the then, hint, Greg.
1: Yeah, I know. I took, took the hint, but, and then we just chatted a little bit. And it was ages. It took ages and ages and ages. And we exchanged numbers, just because I was going to go into the vice office and meet her. Exchanged numbers, and then that never happened. But we just chatted about things. Nothing remotely sexual, <laughs> just about the news, about Donald Trump, about awful people, about who we hate. And that's a really great way of yeah. falling in love with someone, is, Find, you know, having common things, that, 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 common hatreds and yeah. people you find exhausting and awful and whether it's the, an influence that you think is the pits or, you know, a terrible... Because yeah, it teaches
0: you someone's values, doesn't it? It does, you know? yeah. yeah. And she, um, we should say, I mean, I'm sure people will be familiar with as well. but Bella's a fantastically talented writer. I'm a huge fan of her books. Oh. I just am a massive fan girl. I think she's amazing. Um, you're kind of my dream couple. <laughs> um, so, and do you, when you first took her out, were you nervous? Because I think when you really like oh, someone, you're so much more nervous.
1: massively. nervous. Yeah. But she was as well, it turns out. And...
0: Imagine you're doing your hair. Oh, I bet you took ages that <laughs> night. Oh, we had the old brawn Independent out.
1: I had the whole bloody Glam Squad <laughs> round. Yeah. Thanks to my Glam Squad. Oh my God, Louisa on hair. Jenny on makeup. Yeah, the whole the whole team were around, red carpet ready. But we we had a really great time, and I do remember being nervous. And I remember she took the piss out of me for liking cricket, which is fine, because cricket is quite boring. Um, but I love it. And she, I dared her to wear a fashionable cricket jumper, because she said she had a cricket jumper. She said, I don't know anything about cricket, but I got a cricket jumper. She, she loves. She loves. She's very, very fashionable and has, looks amazing always. She wore this cricket jumper, and I thought, that's it, that's the one. She's brilliant. And then the, the sort of sweetest, but also saddest part of the night was we can uh, walk now, because it's yeah, nice and walk. sunny, isn't it? At the end of at the end of the, we went to see some comedy, and um, and at the end of it, she was like, oh, do you, do you want to go for another drink? Or I mean, yeah. Well, I've actually I've actually booked dinner. I have booked a table somewhere because I just assumed I was being a grown up and she was uh, since that since that event she's talked to me about how surprised she was that I'd done that <laughs> because she'd had such, such shit dates beforehand that, that none of that that had never happened and it hadn't happened in a couple of years I was like fucking hell the bar is so low <coughs> for men but I just thought that like, how mad that that's not like a bit more normal Particularly because we'd known each other for ages and chatted for ages. I thought, anyway. So we just went for dinner and then that was it. I basically, yeah, not to be too graphic, but we didn't, I didn't leave her flat all weekend. <laughs> but it was, and that was it. And I never dated anyone else again. And it was really lovely and she's just, I think she's amazing.
0: Oh, it sounds like you married your best friend, which is really do you know what i mean or someone who became your best friend and i think that's such a good basis that you obviously connected on a lot of levels you know
1: well i just think she she really she really brought out and brings out parts of me that i was maybe too frightened to to bring out she keeps me inquisitive with things i mean she reads everything she consumes Mm. everything she just reads Reads, 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 listens, listens, listens. And that inspires me to keep doing that as well. And I think probably the same for her, that I encourage her to go and do stuff. And I say, look, you can just fucking do it. You know, a bit like how I thought listening to Radio 1 presenters, I thought, well, I can do that. So when I read novelists, I just say to her, you absolutely can do this. You know, you've got these stories in your head and you know exactly how yeah. to write them. So go and do it. So I think we meet in the middle. And... Um, yeah, we've become great support for each other through the good bits and the shit bits, which is how it should be.
0: Look at these dogs. He's really catching up <laughs> now, sweet, he really, I think he gets a good energy from you. But, well, but I want to talk about something very exciting, which is your career as a best-selling children's author <gasps> with your great pal and ex-Radio One colleague, yep. Chris Smith.
1: Lovely Chris.
0: Um, he's a newsreader on Radio One. Yep. and. You was it 5 years ago or longer than that now that you decided to write yes kids books Yes, 6 together. years yeah Six. 6
1: years since kid normal kid
0: normal and they took off yeah oh listen to that dog like he's got christmas bells
1: <laughs> i saw you roll your eyes when we <laughs> mentioned the bells
0: well they just keep going on so at least hello <laughs> oh they're ever so sweet but it's so good <laughs> you're sweet when aren't they come you are sweet are not you know they're coming what sort of dogs are they they're irish terriers please don't don't worry about that. But they're only nine months old,
1: so they're a bit um, wild. They're
0: great. Oh, they're really lovely. I love the bells. Barney lo-
1: loves a dog with a bell. I'm going to get you some bells, Barney.
0: Come a, on, you know, Ray. Like Rudolph. I hear them coming back. Yeah, that's true. Hello, what are their names? I'm waking up. Rusty. Hello, Rusty. What? Hello, Rusty? Rusty. Ruby and Rusty. Ruby and Rusty. Do you like Greg? Ruby don't you? and
1: Rusty, you're sweet. <laughs> Okay. see, Greg's
0: a, hello. Greg, Ray's <laughs> like the weirdo at the party standing on the corner. Look, that's he me, never gets involved. That's me at primary school. Ah, Rusty, oh, I no. like Rusty. Rusty's quite she's, she's so <laughs> I like Rusty. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty's a faceable. Come on, Barn. Come on, Barney. Lovely to meet you, Rusty. Thank you. I'm sure you'll hear again. Aw. Oh.
1: Dashing through the snow <laughs> in a one-horse open sleigh. Oh. I love, I relate so hard to her dog embarrassment when (laughs) When we first took Barney on his, because they were just jumping up at us. When the first, um, first walk we took Barney around the Heath, Bella was like, take him off the lead, it's fine. I went, oh my god, I can't, he's so mental, I can't do it. Took him off the lead, ran down a hill and just jumped on a child. And the mum was there next to us going, "Uh, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me i like, oh, for fuck's sake, and Barney was just going,
0: I want to play with his five-year-old.
1: It was harrowing. Because oh. look at him, he's such a lump.
0: I find that, but don't you find, Greg, I, I love my dog with such intensity <laughs> that if I'm walking past and someone doesn't say, yeah. what an amazing dog, yeah. I say, don't worry, Ray, they're obviously not dog people. <laughs> I think, how could you not comment on him? Oh, Ray, got such
1: a lovely grumpy face.
0: Do you know, he's never barked. Has he not? It's a superpower. Wow. Talking of which.
1: Anyway. Super- are we talking talking of
0: superpowers?
1: Oh, we're talking about books. Yes, Kid Normal, we did that in t- about six years ago. And it was a... Uh,
0: it's been a huge success, it, hasn't it, Greg? It has been.
1: We are so blown away by it still. And we, we feel... we um, we are very very uh still in love with those stories and i can't quite believe that kids still well the amazing thing is because of the way that the world works there's mm. always kids being born yeah And there's always a new generation of kids who you see at these events and they're like we've just we've just bought kid normal as well oh. and i go oh yeah because in my head that's old but um yeah, it's, it's brilliant, and we're still going. And we there's
0: a new generation of kids who are so young to you. To them, you're like sort of some elderly, old doll figure, <laughs> like the nice old man who writes the books in his cottage. Hey, Mister, That's were a... you that fighter pilot? Actually, you have got the look of a fighter pilot. Do you know? I'm just looking at <laughs> Greg. Is that good? You've got. I've worked out what you are. Oh God. I. I like to place people in history. Oh,
1: for fuck's sake.
0: I know, it's a bit weird. No, no, it's with. not
1: weird, it's just, I know. You are. I don't think it's going to be a compliment.
0: A kind of, I think, American, maybe. Right. It's a bit, I don't know, but I've been told. one, two, three. Four. It's because I've just
1: had a very the short y- haircut. Oh. I've cut off all my long hair. You'd
0: like me in the film Yanks, and the English lady would fall in love with you, and you'd say, <laughs> I'm sorry, i got to go. Oh yes, I see you in a jet or something. In
1: a jet. So you got to what? What is it? Is it geography teacher or is it fighter pilot? Because I'm wearing a berghouse at the moment, driving a Spitfire, and I don't know what, where that fits.
0: Oh dear. Well, this is the beauty of you. Right. You've got it all. Because oh. I think I tell you what, you are, Greg. You've got the reliability of the Labrador <laughs> and the dependability. But there's this slight glamour of the, of the poodle about you. Okay, that's fine.
1: Yeah, the primping.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yes. yes.
1: I got my hair cut for this interview. Did you? That's how vain I am. It's a podcast.
0: So, having had this huge success with your books, mm. I'd say, oh, great, I've written those books, I can put my feet up. <laughs> Not Greg.
1: I think you get addicted to it a bit, and I need to watch that. But it's as long as you're addicted to the right bits of it i love working with chris and making a thing that wasn't there before that is such i know that's fundamental creativity Mm. but it's i get such pleasure out of making a thing that didn't exist a month ago and then to see it on a shelf and to see it in a school and to go to a school assembly and host an assembly with with kids probably where i exorcise my should have been a teacher demons (laughs) and I can do an assembly and then let the teachers go and do the boring stuff. Um, It's an amazing feeling and we love doing it and they're such a great age group to write for because they are... they're fearless and Mm. they don't care if they say something uncool and they think we're sort of brilliant and these mad men in their school just doing stupid voices and it's a great, it's a, it's a really great crowd, because they just want to be fun and listen to your stories and then tell you mad things that they've thought of in their brain, and so we love doing it, and th- it really is as simple as that.
0: And it's called Super Super Ghost. Ghost, Super Ghost, and it's it's basically about this kid who idolises his superhero, yeah, Doctor Extraordinary, yeah, and. But there's kind of a bit of a twist, because he ends up meeting him, but not in the way he'd yeah. imagined.
1: And this is, this is the genius of Chris Smith. So we came up with all this stuff, and we based the city, Paragon City, on Chicago, because we did a trip to promote Kid Normal in Chicago mm. a couple of years ago, and we had the greatest time ever, and we had such a laugh. And we were like, oh my God, we're actually we're launching a book in America. This is, look, at, look at us. Yeah. Look at us doing this and we, we, loved, we fell in love with Chicago, so we said, we're gonna have to do a Chicago-type adventure, make it feel big and adventurous and just a you know, big scale type thing. Mm. And within a few minutes, we'd come up with the cityscape, we'd come up with the, the idea of the, of the characters, and then Chris said, how about the tagline, don't worry, the hero doesn't die at the end of this story, he dies at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I went. That is fucking great. That's it. And that is on the book.
0: So tell me, you seem quite a thoughtful, reflective person, Greg, Mm. as well as quite a happy person. But how do you deal with times when you're not feeling great? Because all of us have those times, don't we?
1: Yeah, I definitely, I I overthink everything. I overthink all decisions, especially work decisions. Sometimes if there's a thing that comes in, I will think about it for way too long.
0: Do you catastrophise ever?
1: A bit, yeah. not really. I'm quite good at controlling that now, I think. And I've got a good, I've got a good network of people, basically my dad. Uh, I'll call him and just go, I'm panicking, I'm panicking. And what and does Alan we'll just, say? Well, we'll, just go for a, we'll just go for a pint Aww. and just talk it through. And that's normally good. I'm quite, I'm, I'm quite good at helping other people do it because I think I inherited that from my dad so I'm really good with Bella when she has a, has a wobble or is feeling terrible or something so we can just sort of sit it out and talk it through but f- what do I do? I definitely, I definitely struggle with the early mornings, I definitely struggle with sometimes the pressure, mm. I definitely struggle with oh my god is it going to be good tomorrow and then I think and I, go, I start overthinking and go, how long do I do it for? How long should I do it for? How long do I want to do it for? How long do they want me to do it for? So I do think about those sorts of things, but I, I, I talk about them.
0: How are you at confrontation?
1: When I met Bella's mum and dad, I, I obviously asked Bella what they thought of me. And and Bella's mum apparently said to Bella, he's really lovely, but he's he's... And no one's ever said this about me before, but he's got a steeliness. <laughs> I went, "Wow! Does that mean you think I'm a?" <laughs> what does that? What, what does that mean? That's what? What? But I, I don't know. I guess if you get to do these sorts of jobs and stuff, and you want to push yourself through, I, I think you—I I don't think you can do it if you're a—if you're a complete sort of wilting violet.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: I think you do have to have a certain amount of no, 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 that's not right, or I don't want to do that, or this isn't for me, or, so I, I think I So think I'm you... okay with it. I think I'm okay.
0: Would you ever have therapy, Greg? Do you I do to... have
1: therapy, yeah. I, I have a very privileged life where I'm able to afford a therapist, so that's the first problem, is there's not enough to go around, really. And, you know, even if you try and book in and want to pay for it, there's actually, it's quite hard to find a new one at the moment as I'm finding with a couple of my mates who I'm helping through some stuff. It's Mm. hard to find these people because there's so many people struggling with various things. But I took it upon myself about... Shit. Eight, seven or eight years ago? No, I was 28. I had a really bad breakup. Mm -hmm. And I was just all over the place and was really unhappy and really sad and lost and... Like what? I just thought I've got this great job, but I sort of don't care. I feel like I'm not enjoying it. I've, I can't find the joy in it. And I went on a I went on a trip on my own. I went to New York on my own. And uh, actually, my sister was out there for a couple of days, so I saw her for a couple of days. And I was mm. on my own for a week and a half. And I just had the most amazing. Time where I thought, what what am um, what am I? What am I doing? How do I exist if I don't have that relationship? How do I exist in the world without that person? Yeah. And what would I be like if I didn't have that job? And what am I like there? And I just sort of threw myself open to it and booked an Airbnb and just lived in the city for a bit. And that was part of the of trying to heal myself, I guess. And um, and I I amazingly met someone and had an amazing sort of fling in New York and I was like, Oh my God, I'm alive. This is brilliant. This is so fun. I have what? Wow. And then I started doing therapy and I sort of and that finished obviously and I started having therapy and I just kept myself away from people in that way in terms of relationships and just did therapy and found a brilliant person who also did acupuncture. Mm. And I did a bit of that and it just re- really, really helped me and I, I d- and I think about it all the time and I, I still think of those practices that they teach you of, right, what's the real feeling you've got here? Yeah. What are you actually, what does that actually mean? Is this worth getting upset about? Is this worth getting sad about? Is this worth... And I think I just realigned all the important things in my life and just went, this thing, that thing, that helps me here. I go and do that to make me feel happy. I do this person, I see that person to do that. And that's, there's a, like a map in my head of... Things to go to if I need to, you know, top myself up with fun stuff or yeah. serious stuff or whatever. There was a, a period of time where I was just not being a good person, I, I'm not not good enough person. I wasn't being an awful person, just uh-huh. not being a good enough person. I had a relationship that I was that I was terrible in, and that it was the greatest regret of my life. I was unfaithful, and I still hate myself for it. But it was because I was in a bad way, and. So that started off and I had a series of quite bad relationships and I was just not being a good person, professionally, personally, all the rest of it. And I needed to just wipe the slate clean and go back to basically what I was like when I was 19 or 20. Just relax, like calm down. What are you doing? And I got better at work because I started welcoming everything in and making sure that I was sort of shining a light on other people and... Don't even recognise that person actually anymore. Well, i feel think, quite embarrassed about that person.
0: But Greg, I think I personally think that what happened was possibly <clears> you <throat> staved off the infection, and the infection is fame. And <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's toxic. <laughs> yeah, it is and toxic. I think you get to a point, you're very unusual, <laughs> because it's very hard.
1: You have to work at it, but you, you can come back and it's totally you can re, you can redo it. <laughs> and uh, those mistakes are actually really useful, horrible and hurtful at the time, but I found them really, really useful because I just don't, I don't ever want to go back to how that was. So that's, that's the, that's the thing you take away, isn't it?
0: Bon, bon. Right, come on Barney. Barney, I might have a treat in there for you, but sit down. Have you ever thought about what his voice would be like?
1: Yeah, we, me and Bella have his voice, but I don't think it's the actual voice. We think he'd be dozy.
0: Yeah. But actually, we talk a bit <laughs> like that. Hey, hey, yeah, what he- are you doing? I'm just going to bring this bird in from the garden. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing over there? <laughs> what, can I eat that? Oh, it's a sock. <laughs> can I eat that? No. <laughs> yes, I like that. You see, I think Ray would sound a bit like an elderly dowager in Downton Abbey. I think <laughs> Ray would say, what, pray, is a weekend? Yes.
1: I'm not altogether too fond of the Heath, actually, it's a little wild for me. Look at this weather. Horrible. Do you want to go to the bogs? Oh, this is OK, isn't it?
0: Greg, oh. I have absolutely loved our walk.
1: I've loved it, I really have. And it's, it's um, I, I I do like to go for walks with friends around here. And I do catch up with people on the phone around here, so it's it's nice to share it. It's a nice place to be, isn't it? And I'm also, there's something nice about a walk in that you're not staring at the person the whole time. Yes. Same reason why it's nice to catch up with someone in a car. So walking next to someone, there's less pressure to mm. just keep looking. And oh my god, this weather! Oh Street, my god, right, to the so toilets! We're... Let's go to the toilets.
0: we you've taken us for shelter. Where, do you want to tell everyone where you've taken yes. us? We we are standing outside
1: <laughs> the ladies' toilets near the ladies pond
0: which is where you asked to meet i'm just saying you started at the ladies pond you finished at the ladies toilet
1: yep i'm a pervert (laughs) there i am
0: greg will you say goodbye to ray
1: ray it was so nice to meet you look at his little grumpy face and i don't blame him
0: would you like to see barney again oh greg he hasn't said anything Not
1: resounding yes is it but i think the feeling is sort of mutual because barney Barney's good because he's happy wherever he, he lays his hat. He likes dogs and then he forgets about them and then he sees them again and goes, Oh, I remember you, yeah.
0: Do you know what? I've decided Barney's a bit like you. Very good natured. You're
1: not the first one to say. Bella <laughs> thinks that I've just got a dog who's essentially in my image. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we love you, Greg. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye, Greg. Thanks so much.
1: Bye. Bye. In reality, we're staying here for the rainstorm.
0: Of course we are. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.